Good morning, New Journey. It's so good to be here. Um, my name is Gunnar Wilson. If you don't know who I am, I am the Family and Discipleship Pastor. It's good as the vacation months are getting over with to see the, the children's room filling up with, with noise and, and toys everywhere already. Um, my daughter is already dressed up like a princess before the thing even started with all her crowns and jewelry. Um, next week, we start back Journey Kids, uh, which we're really excited about to be able to give um, those teachers a break throughout the month of July and so like that. But uh, we are very much so a disciple-driven church. Um, today, I get the honor of talking about that specific word. Um, it's a lot of fun because uh, something you're so passionate about, uh, being discipleship and just families in general, and just, again, dare I say it, as you'll hear it thousands of times, might as well get your head programmed, discipleship. Um, I'm a little com too comfortable up here that I might ramble on too long. So I'm looking to my wife to give me the hurry up, Gunner. Uh, the, the restaurants are filling up, and we don't want people to wait any longer. So, babe, I'm looking to you to help me out with that. Um, discipleship, that's a funny word. Um, most people categorize it into the idea of uh, Christianese, those words that Christians use all the time that we just program into our brains, that upon which where we just assume everybody knows about. Sanctification, justification, glorification, discipleship, um, and all that stuff. And uh, today, uh, talking about this word, um, as we're fixing to go into our season of growth groups and journey groups to start up again, just to emphasize again how important it is that we as a church get into this because literally Christ says, um, go therefore and make disciples. If that's his last command, if that's the last thing he ever tells us, that simple, that phrase, making disciples. Uh, and more importantly, as we see with Christ, uh, Matthew 4, he says, if you follow me, there's an idea of heaviness of the idea of discipleship in this place. So, um, I probably need to move this up, hear a little bit of feedback. I'm sorry about that. I don't know what I need to do. I'm getting a thumbs up, so here we go. <laughs> um, you ever just, uh, I was thinking right over there about all the people who have discipled me, and, uh, and just the things that I've been told. You ever just been told something before and it just stuck with your head? Um, I have from the gentleman named Chris Prather, who has told me you do what you do and the rest just happens. I've had famous words from Mickey Dalrymple, and granted, these aren't on the screen. I'm fixing to have actually intelligent men uh, with quotes on the screen that you can copy, and if you want to copy these, it's fine, too. Uh, Brother Mickey Dalrymple once told me, if a gunner, if a bird's flying over your head and he craps on you, um, that's the bird's fault. If it comes over your head again and then it craps on you again, that's, that's your fault. You know, it's things like that. It's like, all right. So, like, I've been afraid of birds ever since, and, uh, and so, but... And then you got people like Paul Epperson who says, you know, just let them think you're dumb until it's time to be smart. Like, it's just things like that. It's just like, okay, like, <laughs> this is what I'm using to become a man. You know, all these guys in my life and discipleship so much fun. Um, but discipleship is not just a program or a thing that you do at a coffee shop, and we'll talk about that today. Bodie Bauckham. Uh, there we go. I don't Bodie Bauckham once said, discipling our children is not about teaching them to behave in a way that won't embarrass us. We're working towards something much more important than that. We're actually raising our children with a view towards leading them to trust and to follow Christ. Tim Keller says, um, discipleship is not an option. Jesus says that if anyone would come after me, he must follow me. We're going to talk heavily about that today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, an absolute uh, just 
a unit of a, of a Christian. I mean, this dude, uh, if you've read his biographies, this dude is insane. You'll see it in the simplicity of his phrase. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Plain and simple. And that's the depth of why we got to talk about discipleship today because we go into talking, shamelessly plug in that of journey groups and growth groups. If you don't know what that is, it's okay. We'll talk about it later. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. So if you'll join me there this morning, um, we'll talk about uh, Jesus' actual disciples and uh, how Christ handles that. So uh, if you'll turn with me. Luke chapter 9, verses 49 through 50, or 62. 49 through 62 is where we'll be. While y'all are turning there, the reason that a Christian needs discipleship is because without discipleship, the only thing we strive for is ourselves. We are easily distracted into following tyrants of our heart. If you don't know what a tyrant of your heart is, I think we described this, defined this quite well in, in staff the other day. The tyrant of our heart is ourselves. We start to follow ourselves without Christ. We are easily distracted. It is to the famous passage of Galatians 2.20 upon which where we see our expectations of a normal Christian life. No longer I who live, but Christ. In that, we see the purpose of a normal Christian life. John Piper says, what I say is important, not to terminology of discipleship, but the reality of it. People need to become Christians, and people need to be taught how to think and feel and act as a Christian. That is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, one who embraces him as Lord and Savior and treasure. When a person is fully enveloped in the idea of embracing God, embracing Jesus as Lord and Savior, and if, you don't, if we don't have that first grasp, the idea of Jesus being Lord and Savior, what does Lord mean? One who is over everything. If Jesus is not the Lord over your tap water, if Jesus isn't the Lord about, you know, of your children, over your house, over, your, over everything in your life of which where you don't see through the lens of Christ, then he is not your Lord. Plain and simple. There's no room to say, this is too silly for Christ to be Lord over. Discipleship is such... An important thing. So let's get into today's reading. We'll read 49 through 56. If y'all follow me in the Word, I'm in ESV this morning. And uh, just to give you a little context, uh, the disciples, the 12 disciples, at a perfectly timed moment, 12 sinners are asking Jesus Christ, upon whom which of us 12 sinners, uh, I added that sinners part in, is the greatest. Who's following you the best, Jesus and what a, what, a, what a silly question to ask that of Jesus himself. Jesus, the man who has no sin, which one of us is the best sinners? And that's like saying, like, which, which one of these uh, fully loaded diapers is your favorite? It's like, none of them. <laughs> none of them, no matter how, how less is in one of them or what is in one of them, it doesn't matter. All they want to know is who has pleased Jesus the most. And here we go. Verse 49, John answered, Master, we see someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop them because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. And when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent his messengers ahead and went and entered a village of the Samaritans. 
to make preparations for him. And if you remember, Samaritans to the Jews are evil and heretical people. Verse 53. But to the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. A great passage. Um, there's, there's even uh, some manuscripts will say that Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you are of a different spirit as he rebukes them. All they want to know that who has pleased Jesus in the following footsteps before this. This motley crew of disciples, and they have the audacity to ask Christ, which one of us is doing the best? And then Jesus, this is also right about the same part. If you look in Mark and Matthew, you'll see where Jesus grabs a child, puts it to his side, and it says, to whoever receives and welcomes this child is the greatest. Without discipleship, we look a lot like John and James, the brothers of thunder, right? That's because discipleship is not a program or even two people sitting in a table with coffee. The reason discipleship is not a mentorship is because discipleship is about following Christ. Now, granted, I know some of us use the word mentorship, which is fine if you do. This whole sermon is not meant to rebuke the words. But Kevin once told me that mentorship is a lot like a coach. The coach teaches you. Uh, how to be like him, how to be in his mindset. Uh, mentor came from the book of Odysseus, if you remember that one. Uh, when Odysseus is taken in by his uncle, Mentor, uh, he teaches him all the ways of himself. Where discipleship, much where we get the phrase disciple from, is like a follower of Christ. Now, granted, if you want to use mentor, do it. Fine. Like, God does not, does not set thunderbolts up against you, ready to strike you down every time you use mentor. Like, but the thing is, is that discipleship is intriguing because of the Lord that we are to, like, to follow Christ is to be the Lord of our life. And we can't make him our Lord if we are not following him in such a way. Mentorship is about becoming like the mentor. The church and our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ, and this idea that we're kind of familiar with discipleship, where it takes two people or three people to do a discipleship, that's true. We use the church in that with journey groups and growth groups here at New Journey. But the biggest thing is discipleship is your own personal walk in following Christ. You don't need another human being to sit in front of you. As again, Brother Mickey Dalrymple says, sometimes discipleship is just one silly, weird person sitting in front of another silly, weird people talking about Jesus. Discipleship is about one's own personal time with Christ. Of first fulfilling that idea of, is Jesus my Lord? And how can I make him my Lord and Savior of my life? When we're not being disciples and working on our discipleship, we become too busy assuming what Christ wants of us and following him. Let me say that one more time just to keep our ears parked. When we are not being disciples and not following in our own discipleship and working on that discipleship, we become too busy assuming what Christ wants of us and following him. That's why with doing a discipleship group, you have accountability and encouragement in growing closer to Christ and keeping your eyes focused. And if we look at James and John, they kind of have an excuse, as they do not have the Holy Spirit, obviously, uh, which transforms a man in a process of growing more like Christ. But you see the zeal of James and John. But it's in that zeal that can mess us up sometimes as Christians because we start to following what we want and what we want Christ to want or what we think Christ wants whenever the Scriptures plainly tell us what we should be doing. 
the righteousness and their intentions of what they thought Christ would want. Reject the holy posers. Destroy the Samaritans, the wrongdoers, the evil knuckleheads. And if they don't agree with my political views or opinions or facts, et cetera, et cetera, this is what Christ right wants. Christ wants the Republican Party. No, Christ wants the Democratic Party. No, Christ wants this. Christ wants that. Christ wants this. And all of a sudden, it's just like Jesus is sitting, there, sitting up in heaven going, do I have a thought or are you my What's happening here? We throw this role around whenever scriptures itself tells us how to be like Christians, how to be followers of Christ. But yet when we walk in our own ways, we allow social media, we allow stupid things like TikTok and Facebook and Instagram to tell us how to be Christians. And before you know it, we're sitting around Thanksgiving. We don't want to talk to our family because they know what Christ wants or I know what Christ wants. It could be a very vicious cycle upon which we're... James and John look at Samaritans, lost people, and says, God, do you, want me to, do you want me to call heaven down upon them? I'll do it for you. I know you did it with Elijah. And Jesus says, y'all are of a different spirit. You're not my followers because I come not to destroy, but to redeem. They missed everything that Christ entails. They were not aiming to be like Christ, our graceful and merciful Savior of power. They were trying to destroy and reject and rebuke. But then you ask the question, Gunner, my life isn't consumed in all of that. I only do a little bit of that probably, but mostly I am a loving creature. Great. But here's a question I have for you. How much poop is too much poop in a brownie recipe? (laughs) I think we would all agree even the smallest morsel of poop inside of a brownie recipe is too much. There's a difference between being a person that's completely consumed in Christ and a brownie that has poop in it. (laughs) Too much of myself is too much of myself. Too little of myself in my walk with Christ is too much of myself. Discipleship is so important because discipleship gives that Galatians 2.20, no longer I who live but Christ. And the life that I now live in this flesh, this awful dying flesh, that I have to get vaccines so I can stay away and healthy from a, from a virus, this flesh, this awful dying flesh that longs and urges for other things, that I'll never know what it's like to live an hour in, in preventing temptation like my Christ Savior did, who lived his whole life without uh, even once falling in temptation, but I can't withstand five minutes of it and fall into temptation. Given to my lusts and desires, as James says, but yet I think I know what Christ wants. This is the purpose of the gospel, to redeem the sheep of God so that Christ may bring us to him. This is their assumption, and this becomes my assumption when I'm not following in my own discipleship. Destroy what's weird. They choose to ignore Luke 6. I choose to ignore Luke 6. Love your neighbors. Jesus says, if you love your enemies, that is what I want. Anyone can love those who love them, but love your enemies. And if you haven't answered this question, Jesus says in Matthew 4, 19, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Let's go to school real fast. That's called a conditional clause. Follow me, all right? That's your condition. And the rest of it says, and then I will make you fishers of men. I could probably end the sermon right here, leaving you with this charge, and I'll leave it with you at the end of the sermon. Are you a fisher of man? If not, then the first one's probably not happening. And the first part's probably not happening. And that's not because of anything more than the beginning, which is, 
we are lacking in our own discipleship. I love, again, what Vody Bauckham says. Discipleship is not about making good kids. It's about making those who can actually see Jesus. We're actually raising our children with a view toward leading them to trust and to follow Jesus Christ. When me and Willowbug read about Noah, she calls it the Santa Claus book. But one day it'll make sense, right? But it's not about that right then. She's two years old. Whenever we go through Colossians 1.16, and I'm sitting there looking like a knucklehead going, all right, Willie, you ready? All things. And she's going, ba 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 ba. You know, it doesn't matter that moment. But the thing is, is putting that in front of her, the idea of helping her in her own discipleship for one day when she accepts Christ, Lord willing, that, that God made all things and have been created through him and for him. Willa, you have been created for Christ. One day it'll make sense. Maybe. But it doesn't matter because the discipleship. It's not only for myself, but it's there to encourage and keep my wife and my children and my church accountable. You can't have one without the other. You can't uh, say you follow Christ, but yet not become a fisher of man. Much like I can't say that I love my wife and not take care of her at all. Every time I come in the house and I throw dirty shoes on the floor and I have to do everything that she asks me not to do, I can't say that I respect and love my wife. Y'all would disagree. As much as I say, oh, I love my wife. But I also make pesto pasta all the time <laughs> she hates pesto pasta i also make sure we only have water and no sodas i also make sure that we we take all the sugar out of the house and i also make sure that i never do the dishes never do the laundry never do anything and you go gonna you love your wife yeah because at night i tell her you're silly you're stupid Gunner, that's not loving yeah but it's cool because guess what i tell her what she wants I tell her, this is, this, is, this is what you really want. Don't worry about it. We are not ourselves without Christ. When we lose ourselves, we do not simply get a new self, increasingly radiant with the glory of our maker. We begin thinking about ourselves less and less when we are following Christ. We begin to discover that we become most of us when we forget about ourselves and become, become absolutely consumed with him. We will discover what we are. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. We will discover what we are. Happiest when we are more consumed by Christ. We will discover what we are, that we are happiest when we care le least about how unique we are or what sort of personality we have and care more how unique Christ and his glory is. If we ask ourselves, it is a unanimous that we would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God and gazing upon his face than hold a mirror to our own tents of wickedness. Only the bold and dumb will open a box of furniture that has a thousand pieces and throw away the instructions and say, I got this. <laughs> Only a knucklehead will open up a board game that has a thousand pieces and a 600-page instruction manual and say, all right, let's play. Why do we do that with Christianity? Mostly because we rely on one day a week to disciple ourselves, Sunday, right now. When I end this sermon, for some of us in this room, myself included, most of the time, that's it. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Praise God for Sunday. Hurry up, get done preaching so I can go home. That's what Jesus died on the cross for, right? 
Paul says in Acts 17, 11, Now these people were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I love the NASB. I think the ESV is up there. This is like asking a kid that is frustrated because they can't play the game right. When you ask them what they're doing wrong, they put their hands up and say, I don't know how to play the game, but I should still get to play. It's right there in the fact that we would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God if we really ask ourselves. We would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God if once we're the dust and all the, the shoes get left and the weathers of the outside elements, right where you look over to the right and someone's washing their feet in, in the scriptures or washing their dirty feet to get clean. You're holding this door open so all these people can do it as the dust coming and raking over and your clothes are getting dirty. We would rather be the doorkeeper in heaven than holding our own mirror in the, in the tents of wickedness. So it is there that we find what Christ offers when it comes to discipleship. So let's finish up in Luke chapter 9, 56 through 62, which is where we're going to continue and end on. Um, got three things I want us to observe about Christ. As, he, as we know this part, we're fixing to go to where Jesus looks at someone right after he gets done rebuking his disciples looks at these guys and looks at someone on the road and says, follow me, and then he gives them a parable. Follow me, gives them a parable. Follow me, gives them a parable. It doesn't seem like a parable, but it is because all these have heavenly meanings. So let's go to verse 56. After he rebuked them, and they went on to another village, and as they were along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus tells us to expect hardship and discipleship. Usually out of the three points, this is the first place where we stop and give up on our own discipleship because it's hard. It's hard to wake up at five when the, when the comforter is feeling really comfortable and you've had a hard night with the kid. It's hard to wake up in the morning to discipline our day because we need that rest to continue best with our work, right? It's hard to do discipleship because maybe we just don't know where to start or it's just too overwhelming. And Jesus knew that following him would not be a stroll in the park. But yet, he also understands that such a casual and cheerful consideration would not survive. And just to walk up there with cheerful consideration and going, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. Let's do this. I messed up in the notes here. It should say would not survive. No one who actually commits to following Christ and does so lives a life of ease. No one. We're following Jesus, who had to run away constantly because of people trying to kill him, who was rejected by his own family in his own town, who was rejected and destroyed on the cross for our sins. If we were to follow that, guess what's to come? I'm also not saying that you live a life in danger all the time, but I am talking about constant battles with your old self and sins. I'm talking about listening to the Holy Spirit and sharing the gospel when you're standing next to someone in the grocery aisle. I'm talking about being a Christ-centered parent whenever you, you don't necessarily feel like it. Being a Christ-centered child to your parents, no matter how old you are. I'm talking living a Christ-centered life. Just doing things that seem hard and out of comfort. 
Kent Hughes, a wonderful man, says, if your Christianity has not brought discomfort to your life, something is wrong. Foxes and birds rest. We long for stress-free life, yet we're called to the discomfort life, out of step with modern culture and putting others before us. If you don't like it, then why did you accept it? So you could get something out of it, and that's it. As I said before, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. And without Christ, who are we? Because Christ gives us ownership. Christ gives us identity. And the more we know about Christ, the more we find out who our maker is and who our true father is and what truly makes us happy. And the reason why our lives might be spiraling out of bounds maybe because we've been so far away from our dad. I'm not happy about who I am. It's because, Christian, if you're in this room, if you're not discipling yourself or with other people, the reason why you're not excited about who you are is because you've walked away from who you are. You've walked away from Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ. The occasional discomfort of laying our head down, yet if we would just grasp the hardship now, It's because of what Jesus did on the cross and how it affected our life. We are radically changed, and all the things above I listed is how we follow and live with our discipleship in showing others to love Christ and what it is for us. If Gunnar can just get out of a selfish bubble and realize the rewards of exceeding earthly comfort are nothing compared to the discomforts but joy found in Christ. 59 through 60. Let's read together. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I don't know why I can't read this without choking up. And I think because of the conviction settles in my own life, the idea of the lack of urgency in my life sometimes. Because the question, if you're, really, if you're really on the road with Jesus, life is filled with intense urgency. And knowing that there's still people out there without Christ, there's people out there that are still struggling. And the only reason why some of us don't share is because of political views or maybe because of colored skin maybe because of ideas or discomfort, but just because I would rather check out, hurry up, get home, rather than stay in the line for a little bit longer to share the gospel with someone. That's my own convictions. <laughs> Jesus' famous answer here to this person. Let the dead bury the dead. Far from being a hard-hearted reply, I promise you that. That sounds rough. But Gunner, let the dead bury the dead. This is a reply of grace he was expressing. Urgency. Let the spiritually dead bury those physically dead. I always joke about this, but if I was ever on the mission field and Kelly Ward, my mother, was to die and I was on the mission field and I came home to bury that dead woman, when I get to heaven, she would slap me for a million years in heaven. <laughs> because she would get up in heaven and say, Gunner, I am with the Father. I'm fine. Why did you leave the mission field? And I would say, Mom, because of my comforts. Because 
even though Jesus told me to be on the mission field, I felt it was okay to go. The implication of that is we have no time to waste or stall. We are alive in God and with the call of God. Sit on that. Christians, you have the call of God upon your life. Some are not excused. It's not all on me, Kevin, Josh, and David to get up here. They got a special call, so it's their jobs. No, it's to the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. You are Christ's sheep, and you have the call of God on your heart. The call of God. Dude breathes stars out of his mouth. The dude said, let an animal exist, and it exists. Weird things like platypuses and anteaters and Gunnar Wilson exist because God said, let it be. Plants, your favorite flower, your favorite color exists. Green exists. Gunner's favorite color exists because God said, let it rain. Whenever the rain hits the green leaves, my favorite color then exists because God said, I want it to rain. This powerful God, creator of the universe, the call of that is upon you. The call of God is upon you. As I had a man who discipled me, yet again said, Gunner, do you believe that the creator of the universe is in this room? The one who breathed out stars, the one who made volcanoes, the one who created sharks, the one who made the deepest parts of the ocean, where we've only explored, I think, like 12% of the ocean. Someone correct me on that one. Like, created all this stuff. Do you believe that the creator of that, God himself, is in this room? And I said, of course. And he says, then why are you not on your knees? The call of that, that even whenever the disciples looked at Jesus as he told the winds and the waves to be silent, they looked at Jesus and said, what is that that even the winds and waves obey? They don't even say, who is this? They say, what is that that even the winds and waves obey? That even whenever the Jews were trying to make a name for God, they, we have the word Yahweh, but it was impronounceable to them. The call of that is upon us. The call of God is upon us and there's an urgency we are called for greater things as Jesus said discipleship grows our understanding of God and our calling that brings about this urgency look at Ruth if you don't know the story of Ruth there's a moment to where she's trying to save Israel's people because God has this calling upon her life she's standing before the door of the king who she's been married to it's Esther it's Esther thank you babe (laughs) she stands before the king's door and she looks back at her uncle and says will you pray and fast for me because I don't have enough time I've got to do this she then proceeds to open the door the call of urgency is there I love that story because I do feel like sometimes as Christians we get lost in things and going if I pray one more time then God will answer this I need to pray one more time and fast one more time before I go on a mission trip so that God will say you're good to go on a mission trip or if I read my Bible enough my Days will be sunnier or something of that sort. And Ruth just looks at him and says, I know what God's called me to do. i got to go. I need y'all to pray for me. I need to stick to my manuscript so I don't get names wrong anymore. So let's continue on to Psalm 61 and 62. In uh, Luke 9, 61 through 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fitting for the kingdom of God. This one makes so much sense to me as uh, my father has allowed me to labor in his uh, garden for free. And uh, the, uh, the wonderful blessing of feeling like a man of doing actual plow, three-pronged bad boy that 
simply just picks up weeds and I actually got to dig up the dirt because the, the machine was broken and stuff like that. So I got to actually make rows and stuff like that and, and just the absolute just uh, just came out of Jackson type situation. Been in Because I'm a minister, I'm stuck at a desk majority of my days and just being able to do that again and and just the uh, there's these little things, these little hoses that are underground, and all I got told over and over again, boy, don't you hit my hose, don't you hit my hose, don't you hit my hose. And I'm sitting there focusing on this pathway that I can't see, and I ended up killing some green beans. So I apologize if no one has green beans. Um, but it's like we're, we're doing this, you know, this thing is lay your hand to the plow, and I understand the intensity of if you, like, blink too long. Like, if you blink for just too long, like, you're, like, you're going on a whole other path and hit the hose. This part makes so much sense. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fitting for the kingdom of God. There's a gentleman named William H., or William W. Borden. Uh, this gentleman right here, uh, he's like... I don't know what they put in the water back in the 1900s, but this dude right here was something else. And let's just do a game of comparison, if we don't mind. <laughs> William Borden was the heir of a wealthy Chicago family. In 1904 and 1905, at the age of 18, he traveled the world. This was followed by a brilliant education at Yale and the Princeton Seminary, where he committed his life to seek and win the Muslims in China to Christ. Before he left China, Borden gave away some $500,000, which is equivalent, and I just found in the 1990s, uh, $10 million. So there's no telling what that was now. At the age of 23, I think I was graduating college when I was 23, he served as a trustee of the Moody Bible Institute. In 1913, at the age of 26, he left Egypt and never looked back. It was the final years of his life because in Cairo, he contracted cerebral meningitis. There you go. And as he lay dying, he scribbled on a note. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. This is the kind of attitude Christ was calling for. That's just a problem, church. Because in our own power, we will always put our hands to the plow and look back. We need community, we need to grow, and we need Jesus, and we need to learn more about him. And this is only massively done with the discipleship group. You can do it on your own, sure. I do it on my own every morning as much as possible at 5.30 before Sunday June wakes up at 6.31 on the dot. And, uh, but a discipleship group definitely happens. So before I get to talk to you about a little bit and what that means for you here at New Journey, join me in the story if you don't mind. Dad is leaving his daughter, all right? There's a dad, he's got daughters, and these daughters absolutely adore him. But dad's fixing to go on a journey, right? Dad, we love you. Dad, we love you. We can't wait for you to return back. And the father is just trying to get out the door, trying to do his suitcases. Daughters are riding on the suitcase, opening up the suitcase, trying to put themselves in the suitcase, all those things that daughters do. Dad, we, we, we already miss you, Dad. We're so excited for you to come back. Can't wait till you tell us all that's been going on. Dad says, girls, I love you. 
I've got something for you on the, I've got a set of chores on the hearth of the fireplace that I want you to do, if you don't mind. Daddy, we love you so much. We'll do it. Don't worry about it. We got you. We're going to take care of the house. When you get back, you're going to be so proud of us. So as dad gets down the road and gets into the horizon, the daughters are still screaming, waving like goobers, you know, just trying to do all they can to say, Dad, we love you one more time. Just make sure that he understands how much they love him. And immediately the daughters look to themselves. What do we do? Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do stuff for dad. I know that he's always talked about how he wants these weeds pulled. Let's pull some weeds. So they get to pulling, laboring, using, using that little three-pronged thing, Dad, you know what I'm talking about, and a little plow. They get on the roof, and they take off all the sticks. They clean up all the dishes. They clean their rooms. They get pumped because Dad's coming back. Dad opens the door. They tackle him, put him on his butt. Dad, we love you. We're so glad you're back. And he says, I'm so glad to be home too. And they said, Dad, check out everything we did. We pulled the weeds. We got the sticks off the roof that we know that you've been always been talking about. We even cleaned our rooms and did the dishes. That's awesome. But what about the chores that I asked of you on the hearth of the fireplace? And with heads lowered, they say, Dad, we completely forgot. We thought these right here were bigger. And Dad said, I love you girls to death. You know that. But now... We've got a problem. These girls spent all their time away from their dad. And their dad had a simple list on the hearth in the fireplace. And all it took was just, what was this? And that's the same way we treat the scriptures. And that's the same way we treat our discipleship. And that's the same way we treat our knowing of what God wants for us. We love our dad. And our dad loves us. But man, the plans that he has for your life. So, Next steps. If y'all don't mind, this is the part where we kind of shamelessly plug journey groups and growth groups. But uh, out of all things, New Journey considers itself endurers of identity and the identity and longing in our staff meetings, developments, purpose of brainstorms, events, everything with we breathe back in that little office during the week that us as staff prayerfully consider in all things can be found in our vision and mission statement. Our vision at New Journey. If you are new here today, or you've been coming for a little while and still wondering what in the world New Journey is about, this is all that we care about. Our vision, which is a large picture of what we want to be, we at New Journey exist to be gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, disciple-making movement of Jesus Christ. With every wide picture vision, you have a mission, a single-focused beam of purposeful object, purposeful object to accomplish your vision. It is these few words you will see where our hearts and our drive at New Journey are at. We long for and all that we care about. Our mission is to know God deep, grow in Christ daily, and go make disciples across the street and around the world. Without discipleship, none of that is accomplished. Discipleship is not a program. It is the following of Christ. It is why we call the disciples the disciples. But yet, as we see, the disciples being disciples, following after Jesus, also follow themselves and assume that God wants to destroy people and rebuke people because of their political ideas. We at New Journey do not. We pursue the gospel and we pursue discipleship. We aim 
not to turn you into Kevin Edge, who due to popular belief, some way we think is perfect. We aim not to turn you into Kevin. We aim to point you to Christ and earn your walks. Personal study times, worship services, in the, whether you have worship services in the shower or car, praying by your child's bed or on your own, and just your Christian duties. These are acts of discipleship that grow you closer to Christ. Yet it is amplified when we can do them together. It is amplified when we can do them together. Any of us, if we knew how to watch enough YouTube videos, one person could build a house. But it's way better when multiple do. That was one of the greatest things of the church to do in community. So what does New Journey have to offer of your discipleship? We have journey groups. Journey groups are about community and friendship. The number one goal of all journey groups should be to help people find community. And the quickest way to not be a part of something, regardless of what it is, is not feeling a part of something. So if you're here at New Journey, I just don't feel like I'm really connecting with this church or here a part of it. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, feel like I'm losing disconnect from my time with the Lord. It's because we just don't feel apart. And New Journey is here to say we're going to take away every excuse we possibly can. Because we know that Christ is worth it. That's why we aim for journey groups to help others find a community or establish a community with godly people from within the church with whom one might one day join together in growing their discipleship together. And the beauty of this is found in what's called next, our growth groups. Growth groups are about discipleship and accountability. And the number one goal of all growth groups is to see people grow to be mature disciples of Jesus who can turn, lead others in the future to be mature disciples. Journey groups are more about hanging out and learning people at your church. Breaking bread together. Multiple people in the household. I'm excited to see how many people we can fit in mine and my wife's barely 1,100 square foot house. It's going to be a blast. But growth groups, three to four people talking about accountability, goals to accomplish, things of driving harder to Christ. These are growth groups. And that new journey, when you hear those two words come up, you should peer, perk your ears up. At the end of the service, we're done talking about journey groups and growth groups. At the end of the service, if you want to join those, you'll hear more about it. If you want to talk to me or anybody at the back, sure, we're here for you. But the biggest thing and the biggest concern of this is not to plug you into something because guess what? They're all free, so we get no kickback. This is all for you. The whole purpose of this is Christ. Your walk with Jesus, a man who really existed, who really breathed, who really joked around, who was a sinless man, died on the cross, really happened so that you can have a relationship because it was our sin that tore us away. The only reason why we have discipleship is because of what Christ did on the cross. Because I don't know if you know a story about Adam and Eve, but our father Adam messed it all up for us. And all the way between Genesis and Matthew, there's just this constant struggle of man trying to get as far as way he can from God and God doing everything with Israel to bring him back to the point where Christ then comes, dies on the cross, so that it's no longer, uh, I love the fact that Abraham is one of the few guys that or was actually the only guy that Jesus calls friend or God calls friend, Abraham, my friend. And then in Matthew, Jesus says, no greater love than one who gives himself up for his friend. As a couple of chapters down the line, Christ gives himself up for you. Because all he wants is to be your friend. All he wants is a relationship. All he wants is closeness. At the end of service, 
Like I said, you'll learn more. If you feel left out at New Journey or feel left out in Christianity, you got to ask yourself, am I plugged in to a Journey Groups or Growth Groups? Because down at the bottom of your notes, you have a question. Well, I only have time for one, all right? I can either do a Journey Group or Growth Group. Which one do I do? Well, the question is, which one are you in need of? Do you need Journey Groups or do you need Growth Groups? Or can you do both? So as the band comes up, I want to leave you with this. If God is our Father and He knows what is best for us, why do you think He expresses so deeply we follow Him? If God is our Father and He knows what's best for us, why do you think He expresses we follow Him so badly? It's because He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for you. Remember, discipleship is important because it is alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ, which brings us closer to him. And we are not ourselves without Christ. And let me restate powerful quotes from today. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And Matthew four nineteen, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So church, Jesus died on the cross because we, as sinners, who were once full of sin, even when while we were still sinning, he died on the cross so that we may become his. Because as Colossians 1.16, and we're trying to teach our daughter, we have been created through him and for him. So today, let's get to know him in our own personal walks of discipleship. Are you following him? That is the question I'll leave you with.